Hello, I am Dr. Dave Donahue, and I am delighted to welcome you to the Health Rules Podcast, where we try to give you the steps you can follow to achieve optimal health. Now I can hear what you're thinking. You're thinking, Dave, does the world really need another health-related podcast? And the answer to that question is no. There's plenty of health-related podcasts out there, many of which are excellent, so I encourage you to check them out. But what we're doing here is a little different. This podcast is a working podcast. It is a podcast with a purpose in which each episode we are building a health-related checklist, a checklist designed with all the steps that you should follow to achieve optimal health in a particular arena. So some examples. How can I reverse my hypertension? How can I prevent diabetes or reverse type 2 diabetes? I feel like I'm losing my memory. How can I preserve my memory and prevent Alzheimer's disease? I'm getting a lot of headaches or migraines. How can I prevent those? I want to prevent chronic kidney disease. I am worried about cancer. And how can I prevent cancer? I've been diagnosed with cancer. What are the steps that I can follow to maximize my survival? Or how can I live as long as possible? So we will cover, cover a whole host of topics. And each, each episode, we will interview an expert in their field, someone who knows the science inside and out, someone who has been practicing in this field and has helped hundreds of people achieve the optimal outcomes uh, themselves. So health rules will draw from the wisdom of allopathic traditional medicine and lifestyle and preventive medicine, as well as healthcare delivery science, which is a field that studies health interventions and, and determines what works and what doesn't work. And we will also draw from the wisdom of environmental science and sustainability medicine, which holds that the health of the individual, the health of the environment, and the health of the planet are intertwined. So our mission is to help people achieve the greatest health that they possibly can for themselves, for their loved ones, for their clients, for their patients, for the planet. Health Rules is brought to you by healthrules.org. We store the fruits of each interview on, on the website, on a page on healthrules.org. We will store the checklist itself. We will make available as well a printable version of the checklist, which you can post to remind yourself of how to achieve optimal results. And also that you can bring with you to a uh, encounter with your doctor so that uh, you can have a good discussion about all the important steps. So who am I? I am the host of Health Rules. My name is Dr. Dave Donahue. I am a primary care internal medicine physician, a fellow of the American College of Physicians. Uh, I'm also board certified in lifestyle medicine, and I am fully committed to the free and unbiased exchange of scientific and health information. I am excited that you have joined me on this journey. So on to our first episode. So this episode will be a little different because it will focus on the techniques that we can use to help others change their behavior to become more healthy. It is really aimed at caregivers or professionals who care for people who themselves want to achieve a better health outcome, who, who want to change their own behavior. So our guest is Dr. Howard Jacobson, PhD. Howard is one of my biggest influences in the podcast arena, 
and in the how to live your best life arena and in how to be as healthy as possible arena. So Howard hosts one of my very favorite podcasts called the Plant Yourself Podcast. And what an amazing resource that podcast is. I have found that there, there's no better way to learn you know, so many intricate um, pieces of information about how we can achieve our best health, how we can achieve our best life. And the podcast, I have to say, uh, is refreshingly free of commercial influence, and that's something I really value. Howard has authored numerous books, including one of my personal favorites, Proteinaholic, with Dr. Garth Davis, a book called Whole with Dr. T. Colin Campbell. More recently, he's written uh, books called Lose the Weight, Use the Weight to Lose the Weight with Josh Lajani and Sick to Fit with Josh Lajani. So since I have been personally coached by Howard, I can vouch that he is a sensitive and gifted coach who has gone deep into the science of behavior change. In, in his practice, he has coached thousands of people and he has coached other coaches to help people learn how to overcome almost any kind of barrier and achieve their best. So let's get started. Dr. Howard Jacobson, welcome to the Health Rules Podcast. Dr. David Donahue, I'm so happy to be here. Well, we would love to hear so much from you. We're extremely excited to have you on the podcast today. Um, I, as you know, enjoy talking to you under any circumstances. So a podcast, hey, why not? Um, if you could, tell us about your journey. Which journey? Tell us the whole epic saga. No, I mean, <laughs> in, in, in uh, two and a half minutes or less. No, you have a little bit more than that. But tell us, tell us your story. How how do you how did you come to arrive at where you are now and, and who is the person you've become? Okay, um, so I see myself as a behavioralist, and I'm not sure if that's behaviorist or behavioralist. So I, I kind of slur it when I speak. Um, I have spent my professional life trying to figure out how to help people do the things that they kind of want to already do and aren't. So I'm not interested in sort of like, you know, half Nelson persuasion of people who simply don't want to agree with me. And I'm not into manipulation or bullying, but people who say, you know, I'd really like to eat healthier. I'd really like to stop having so much sugar. I'd really like to start an exercise habit. I want to be a meditator. And they don't do it. And that's where I've, I've devoted my professional life and, and most of my personal life as well to uh, cracking that nut. And of course, I had to do it first for myself, and I'm still doing it for myself because I don't think there's any there there. There's just, uh, you know, continual chasing of a, a, a congruence between aspiration and identity. And so how would you describe what it is you're doing right now with yourself? So right now, I, um, I coach people individually and in groups, and I teach coaching to essentially a plant-based community. So there's a, there's a whole plant-based community that wants to be health coaches, and the only options out there are kind of antithetical to plant-based, sort of, you know, IIN, 200 different diets, and they're all good, um, or other programs that 
you know, that don't focus on the specifics. So it's kind of a safe place for plant-based people to congregate, but also um, it's a coaching model that's based on different things than sort of the life coaching that I see out there in terms of, um, you know, all, well, in your world, the coaching is essentially motivational interviewing, right? Like that's what doctors and, and health professionals are taught. And it's a really useful tool in the same way that a flathead screwdriver is a really useful tool, but I wouldn't use it for everything. <laughs> so you're going to get an opportunity today to tell us all about the uh, Phillips head equivalent of uh, counseling. Phillips head um, um, was that the hexagonal oh, wow. Allen wrenches uh, torques. Uh, oh, even even maybe electronic versions thereof. Yep, tur turbocharged with those those twenty, <laughs> those 20 volt yellow and black batteries. Absolutely. All right. So I am excited. Um, well, I'd like to share at, here at the outset, because in, in a couple of minutes, we're going to get into the, the dirty little business of building out a checklist. So if you don't mind, um, I'd like it if you could share with us here at the beginning, uh, what, what, are, what are your uh, current things that you want people to know about and how can people get in touch with you? Okay, this, this, this is good. So to get this out of the way before we get so hot and heavy into nerd science that we forget later. Right. Um, so I have a podcast called Plant Yourself. I think that's how you and I met. Yes, and we did. You, you are one of my favorite guests on that podcast. And I, I, I learned, highly recommend it. I love the podcast. I learned a tremendous amount from you. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the number. I think it might be one. I have no, I can't remember. There's a five in it. 155 or 250. <laughs> Depends what year it was. Yeah. Um, but you were one of my favorite guests, and I love how you applied a, a scientific, skeptics, systems-oriented brain to behavior change. And that actually, that actually helped me a lot in uh, refining uh, my own thinking about what works. Was, you know, so I, re I really want to thank you for that. That was kind of a turning point for me in terms of, hey, I've got all this groovy stuff to let's, um, let's assess it rigorously and create systems out of it. Oh my gosh, you're over the top, Howie. So, so this is full circle. <laughs> this is version 2.0 of that yeah. interview, perhaps. But you're now up to how many, um, how many uh, episodes? Um, I, I just recorded number 443 an hour ago. So that will be arriving uh, next week. Um, and so I talk with you know, thinkers, researchers, inspiring people, basically anybody I want to have a conversation with. So like I am my audience and like if I want to get on the phone with somebody for an hour, who would it be? And then if they say yes, we make it happen. Nice. Well, I can certainly vouch that it's a powerful experience and, and something about that magical Howard Jacobson um, skill set. And maybe it's your dulcet tones or your 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 voice or, or I don't know what it is, but um, mm. you, have a, you have a great I, style for interviewing and you're very much my mentor in this journey. Wow. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to be dull set. <laughs> <laughs> you never miss an opportunity to uh, self-deprecate. I've noticed that about you too, Howie, and that's one of the things we all love about you. 
Well, yeah, I, I need. I, I've, I've hired. You know, I have a whole anti-marketing department. <laughs> right, right. You are, you have taken that to. That's what your PhD must be in, right? Um, so I wanted to. Uh, very soon again, we're going to get very into the dirty business of building out a checklist. But before we get there, unrelated to that checklist, I want to ask you one unrelated question: What is one important secret to good health that you have discovered that almost nobody else knows? Hmm. I don't think I've discovered anything that everybody doesn't know. <laughs> you know, like I trade in the obvious, which is which is another form of anti-marketing. Because if I tell people I have a secret that no one's ever heard of, everybody wants it. If I say, you know, eat your friggin' broccoli, take a walk every day, and I'll think good up. thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, yeah, well, I've heard that. So I can honestly say I had no secrets whatsoever. Okay, you're an that's, that's that's my secret. Well, there it is. It's all in plain sight. I love it. Well, we are going to build a checklist. Can you tell me what checklist we're going to build today? Um, well, you tell me if this is going to work. I was thinking about a checklist for health professionals for people who, when when someone comes in and you want to help them change. Okay, I'm taking notes. Checklist for health professionals. For those of us who are health professionals, how can we more effectively help somebody change? Yeah, so if you are a pill prescriber, you give someone a, a script, they go get it filled or not, they take it or not, and you've done your job, oh, right? Yeah. <clears throat> you get... Yeah. You know, you get reimbursed for the visit. You Have get you bad. get better better health grades scores if you give people drugs. Right. Right. So that's easy. So if you are a surgeon, the person is probably anesthetized in front of you. They have no agency in this operation. You go, you cut, you move, you sew, you remove, and. They're all, done all using all using that standard head uh, screwdriver, right? <laughs> Very handy device we find. In medicine. <laughs> yeah, well, with, with with surgery, I think you want one with the with the right angle. Oh, okay, a little, little curve, yeah. okay. right? But if you're a lifestyle medicine practitioner, and and the largest part of your work is getting people to change their diet, change their movement habits, change their sleep patterns, change their relationship to stress, then it's all on them. You can't follow them home and knock cheeseburgers out of their hand. You can't go to the gym and lift weights for them. It's all on them. And you are essentially powerless. And it's really important to be to recognize that you're powerless, because that's not a comfortable position for physicians, is it? Absolutely not. We, we, we do not like feeling powerless. Ten ways to feel powerful. Okay. But so this, is, this is great. I, I love where you're taking this. Go ahead, please. Right. So what we can, we can't have power over, but we can have power with and power for. So we can empower the people in our care who come to us and say, hey, I want to be healthier. And we know that there is a path for them and we want to lay it out for them and support them as they take tentative step after tentative step on that path until it becomes their identity and they don't need us anymore. Yeah, amen. 
That's 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 exactly what we're trying to achieve. So you can you're going to tell us the steps of how we um, Luddite and Dullard um, <laughs> pro pro provider healthcare providers can can uh, sort of try to begin to do the kindergarten version of what you're you're able to achieve. All right. Well, I would, you know, I think I would phrase it more generously. Like, you know, if I'm if I'm in the ER after an accident, I don't want the doctor to come up to me and uh, say, so tell me, tell me about, uh, you know, were you meditating while you were driving? Like, I just want them to get the steering wheel out of my sternum. So, <laughs> so this, right. is, this is all bonus work for, for, for the medical professions. What, what title are we going to give this checklist? Um. I don't know, health behavior change checklist. We can we can change it, right? We sure can. So let's start with that. Wow. Yeah. And that's and that's a really important first step is that we is everything we're doing with our patients, we can change. So very like this checklist is not a here's how you do it. It's here's how you approach it, because you're going to hit dead ends with them. They're going to hit dead ends with themselves. And one of the most important th things we're trying to model is that experimental willingness, is the willingness to try things, be wrong, and learn from them the way a true scientist would. Because people come to us, and I don't know if this is going to be part of, you know, it'll be part of the discussion of the checklist. I don't know if this is the place to start. But just as a framework, when people come to us to change their health behaviors, they've already failed sure. they, and they already think of themselves as damaged, wrong, broken, um, unworthy in some pretty significant ways. Right? So they come in with shame and they come in with a story. And the story is something like, you know, Doc, you might be my last chance. I've tried Atkins. I've tried Hollywood cookie. I've tried Weight Watchers, I've tried Planet Fitness, nothing sticks. Right. And so what we know is every the next time they make the slightest mistake, they're going to tell themselves a story of, oh, well, another thing failed. So from the very get go, we want to model that this is all an experimental process. This is all a learning experience. There is no failure as long as there is learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good message and, and a good thing to keep in mind. I think that a lot of us docs, myself included, feel like we're in the business of pontificating. Come in and we will mostly pontificate through our pen. The pen is mightier than the sword and writing out a prescription. But but when we do uh, converse with a patient, you know, we're to give them their money's worth, we've got to push information out at them and don't pay too much attention to their mental state or how they're receiving it or their uh, sense of self-esteem. So that, that's powerful to keep that in mind from the outset. Right, so, and yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. please. Well, well, so like here, I'm hoping that we can collaborate on this because I feel like I have some expertise in the topic and you're the checklist expert. So I don't know that I like I, I prepared in terms of steps, but I would love your your help in sort of translating the methodology into like checklist poster form. So let's let's see if we can if we can do that together. Let's do it. Um, so someone comes to you 
And I don't know if it's the doctor or it might be, you, know, you might have health coaches in your office or registered dietitians, but someone in a, uh, in a lifestyle medicine practice is going to have to be responsible for talking to the patient about changes that they're going to make in their life. Mm -hmm. So at that point, when the person comes in, the first thing we want to know is kind of where are they at? Right? Because some people come in as like, like droopy houseplants. Like you ever have a houseplant and you're like, oh, I didn't water this thing in like four days or two weeks. And it's like, okay, the leaves are droopy. They're starting to turn brown. They're turning papery. Like just give them water. That, that plant would love water, right? Like some people, like what they need is information. They've never heard of the idea that let's say a plant-based diet can help them lose weight or that walking is a great first step for exercise. And, you know, they've thought, well, what I've got to do is, you know, sweat till I fall on the ground or work out really hard in the gym. And anything that feels good, walking, gardening, dancing, is obviously not going to help. So we want to find out as a first step, like, what do you know? Like, okay, here's, you know, here's this goal. What, what, do, what do you know about what to do? Because, right. you know, if, if, if you know, if I'm telling you something you already know, if you're friends with me, you're going to interrupt me. If you're not friends with me, you're just going to silently tune out or get annoyed. Good point. Yes. So, so step one is basically find out where are you at and, and ask the question, uh, what do you know what to do? Um, yeah, what you know if they've, if they've got you know prediabetes, tell what, what what's your understanding of, of prediabetes and what are what are ways that you could address it? Do you do you have a sense of that? What do you, what are you thinking? Okay, what is your understanding of blank, whatever the topic of interest? Um, in your own words, tell me what it means to whatever be have diabetes, like you just said. Uh, okay. Very, yeah. Yep. And, you know, and all you're always asking for a position of curiosity, because there's a way in which, like, if someone's just looking at the words, they could go, they could ask it like a teacher wanting the correct answer. Right? And 97% yeah. of us hated school. So anything that brings us back to, you know, Mrs. Hunt's fourth grade class is is going to, you know, get, get our neurology in, into fight or flight. You had is, her too? She was terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I so, think it might have been my fault too, looking back, but. Uh. <laughs> so approach with curiosity. Yeah, so that's good, good advice. So that's a good step one right there. Assess yeah. where they're at. Yeah, because yeah, this, this it'll, you know, it's, it's respectful. Um, you know, so the whole thing here, like we are, we are just dripping with respect and empathy. <laughs> right. right. So, so the checklist is one thing, but the, the spirit behind it is really important that we uh, are respectful of them, which means we totally respect their autonomy. We don't think, oh, God, you know, like, we can have a thought like, oh, God, like, why are they so stupid? How, right. how could they not know this? Or, look, they said they knew that eating meat was bad, but they're still eating meat. What's wrong with them? So all of these reactions are our garbage. Right. right? And we're going to have those thoughts. It's fine to have the thoughts. Like, I'm not saying, you know, become the Dalai Lama. But I'm saying, like, like, first of all, prepare yourself and think about for yourself, like, what you want for this person. Right. Right. So I'm, I'm writing a book on coaching right now uh, with my coach, T. 
teacher and mentor, Peter Bregman. And one of the titles we're playing with is, is something about from critic to ally. Mm -hmm. So that's really important because people, they feel criticized and they're, and they're criticizing themselves and their spouses are criticizing them. And when they walk down the street, people are looking at them and criticizing with their eyes and maybe with actual words. So it's really important for us to come in as their ally. We are here to help them, support them, and there is no criticism, blame, judgment whatsoever. So this checklist goes beyond just how am I going to get behavior change? I think some of this is really sage advice for any provider. I have to reflect that when I went through my medical education, there was a lot of sort of disdain for patients, these patients who have these chronic diseases, and they don't take care of themselves, and they won't they won't take care of themselves. But at the same time, it's not like we were dishing out very actionable steps uh, or information on how to take care of yourself. So there, there was just sort of embedded in, in the culture um, a little bit of, uh, of an undercurrent of you know, disdain. Yeah, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. So give, just give me your blink. If you were to give Western medicine a grade from A to F on how it deals with chronic disease, what would you say? C. C. And that might be generous. Might be generous. Um, yeah, it's generous, <laughs> right? Barely passing. Yeah, D, D perhaps. I mean, and, I and, yeah, and I think where you're going at is the fact that we seldom reach uh, attempt to reverse the underlying cause of chronic disease or yeah. right. nope <laughs> where i'm going with it is if you are getting a d your natural inclination is to feel bad about yourself right but you don't want to feel bad about yourself and the easiest way to not feel bad about yourself is to blame somebody else okay so sure. one, of the, one of the nice things about doing, practicing lifestyle medicine is that you can actually get to the root causes, as you were saying. And so you could get a B or an A, which means you have less to defend. Right. right? You're actually, you know, actually pretty good at this. Like, you know, when you reach my level of expertise, you can self-deprecate all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well. I don't, I don't have the PhD yet in that. So I, I defer to you, the king of uh, self-deprecation. Yeah. yeah, see, I don't, I don't know if I just like obnoxiously complimented myself or self-deprecated again. I don't even know. <laughs> so, so this number, this is kind of number two, right? Is this total respect for their autonomy? Well, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's a step because I was thinking about this. Like if we were to create a checklist for getting someone to marry you, and the checklist was like, invite them out and, right. you know, buy a ring, go down on your one knee, um, discuss children, discuss pets. Like the steps are kind of meaningless without the spirit behind them. Well, you know, and but another way to think about this particular checklist, you know, some there's different kinds of checklists and some are a list of things you're going to do. And some of them might be more of a gut check. OK, let me let me um, do a status check on myself. And, and oh, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Before I go in the room, um, let me make sure that I'm gonna I'm gonna assess where they're at. And that, that's a that's a thing I'm gonna do. But it's also let me go in with curiosity. So like put myself in a curious mindset. And 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 step two is I don't judge. So I'm non-judgmental. So number one is curiosity. Number two, step number two is uh, non-judgmental. Right. Right. So that yeah, with that, and your curiosity is going to be of a specific kind. 
Uh, and the curiosity, I think, is the most effective. This, you're going to hear their barriers to change, right? If they have no barriers to change, you're done in two minutes. And you know, you've had people like that, and I've worked with people like that. They say, "Hey, eat a plant-based diet." And they go, oh, really? Is that it? And they go off and they do it. And like, they send you a picture of their pantry the next day. They threw everything out. And they're like, you know, like, like miracle conversions, like Saul on the road to Tarsus. Like, and you're like, okay, <laughs> I, I live for this. Right? Sure. Like, like, there's lots of stories of like Colwell Esselstyn talking to someone and, you know, <laughs> they're often being wheeled in for open heart surgery on the gurney. And like, they say, oh, wait, I just talked to Essie. Turn me around. I want to try diet. <laughs> Right. Oh, but, for, but for most of us, for most people, most of the time, there are barriers to change. Sure. Right. So that's kind of the work that we're going to do is to explore those barriers to change. And we are going to see them in as positive a light as possible. So I think I'm getting a little bit ahead of the checklist. But 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 my curiosity is. Let's, I, I don't know if you if you have any sort of bad habits that you'd want to change, or if you do, if you want to share them right now. Myself. Um, okay, chocolate, dark chocolate. Okay. It's not a major struggle, but um, it's it's uh, something I'm trying to get away from, and not because uh, of so much because of the nutritional aspect, but it it, it is rich source of saturated fat. But um, because of the, uh, well, the stimula stimulatory uh, effects, I'm very sensitive to, so it, it disrupts my sleep. So, okay, trying to get away from dark chocolate. Okay, so my curiosity, even before we start talking about it, like where my GPS is orienting, is like you already know what's bad about dark chocolate. Right, stimulant effect. Maybe if you have it, you want more of it, and it becomes like a little struggle. And like you want, you know, you're this avatar of lifestyle medicine, and you've got this little secret thing you're <laughs> struggling with. And like what, right? You know all the negatives. Right. So, so here, motivational interviewing would do this. It would say, well, tell me what's you know why do you want to get you know why would you want to give up chocolate what what's your future if you keep eating it what's your future if you don't uh and so really to establish like you're going to talk yourself into not having the chocolate i want to do something different because none of that is addressing where you're stuck right so my curiosity is what's good about the dark chocolate for you what positive functions does it serve? How, like, how do you feel when you have it? How do you feel when you think about having it? How do you feel when you buy it? You know, how do you feel 10 minutes later? What is it? What is it doing for you? And now, so you're, we're starting to appreciate that it has a positive intent. And then we can start talking about how you could get that in other ways. Right. If it's, you know, it's a pick me up, but you want you want to be stimulated without having a stimulant. So can we do that through a type of breathing exercise? Could you do it by, you know, subscribing to a, a Comedy Central YouTube channel and watching a five minute stand up set? Right. You know, could you do it by by watching clips of the 1992 Ultimate Frisbee, you know, world championships? Right. Uh, 
Um, so that's that's the the essence of the curiosity. Yeah. Is because and and it's it's important because it goes back to respect because you are a smart guy. You're one of the smartest guys I know. If you're eating chocolate, it's not because you're stupid. It's because you're smart. It's because you're doing something that benefits you. The issue is that it's a suboptimal way to fill that need because it comes with costs that you're that you're finding unacceptable. Got it. Cool. You know, there's there's some interesting uh, things in there. Um, this the positive aspects of the, the habit that we want to change. It's it's not something that uh, doctors and providers necessarily do easily, especially when you're talking about something like smoking to someone who is a non-smoker or drinking to someone who's a non-drinker or the, that delicious steak that I can't resist to someone who's been vegan for 10, 20 years. Uh, and so actually it, it kind of makes me think that maybe one of the items in this checklist should be to, to you know check check yourself at the door or this is not about you and, and try to you know rise above that there's research showing that doctors who um, are uh, who are smokers do a poor job at counseling their smoking patients to quit and doctors who are heavy heavier um, do a poor job at counseling people with a body mass index lower than them to lose weight and so similarly, I think we've got to we've got to remove ourselves and our own kind of person, uh, you know, too much of our own baggage uh, out of the equation, right? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, as far, I'm thinking now in terms of that that sort of self check checklist in terms rather than steps. So that's very empowering for me. I'd say first thing is like get present. So if you're a healthcare provider in an office setting or telemedicine, you're dealing with one person after another. Right. Mm -hmm. You're probably and when you're not in front of a patient, you got to deal with some effing, you know, head of medical record keeping. You've got to file for insurance. You've got to, you know, figure out how to fix the broken thing. Like it's very easy. And, you know, especially in an HMO world to be like you're treating the chart, not the person. So to take a moment, if you're doing lifestyle medicine, you're dealing with people's lives. And you've got to be present for them and for the conversation. So I'd say the first part of the checklist is take a deep breath, feel your feet, let go of anything like you got. OK, I got to remember to make this phone call. Write it down so it's it's not an open loop. Right. Close your loops and get present. Then you want to think about the person and their best interests, like what you want for them. OK. Um, assume positive intent, right? That's the, the three words that can prevent more divorces, <laughs> unnecessary divorces than anything else, according to research by John Gottman, right? Assume positive intent about all their behaviors. Because every dysfunctional behavior is a defense mechanism. Yeah. Sure. Right. You're trying to survive out on the savanna, um, and you're afraid of starving to death. Yeah, and and a lot of the people who come to us, who especially let's let's say you're 100 pounds overweight or more, there is almost certainly trauma underlying that. Like you could be you could be 40 pounds overweight because you love McDonald's. It's hard to be 100 pounds overweight unless your food is a serious solution to an. Uh, 
a completely unsafe internal environment. Right? Because you see people 100 pounds overweight, the minute they change their diet, the weight flies off at first. Right. Like the, the body doesn't want to be heavy. <laughs> right. Yes. So those, those <laughs> adverse events, thank you for bringing that up, Howie, because this is something that, again, we in medicine um, are, are not properly attuned to. They say that it takes, you know, something like 30 years for a good idea to get out there into clinical practice. And, and, and this is one of the newer ideas. I mean, it maybe is not new for everybody, but I think medicine has recently been waking up to the importance of these adverse childhood events. I and mean, the research is just stunning about what happens when somebody has had a certain number of adverse child events and, and you can measure it in terms of likelihood of developing heart disease and, and earlier death. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a, 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 a powerful, powerful influence in our overall health. So that, that's another thing that, that we, we should be kind of lurking in the back of our mind is what's going on in this person's past, right? What are the dark um, events in their past that are shaping their current uh, unhealthy behaviors, right? Right. Well, I want people to be sensitive to it, but I would caution, unless you're a behavioral health person or a psychologist or some sort of therapist to, to resist the temptation to go there. And there is a temptation to go there because we've seen movies like on Golden Pond, right? Um, if you're of a certain age. Um, and we've, um, we're interested because it's like a puzzle, like, like, oh, you know, we still have this Freudian paradigm, like, if they understood if they if they could, you know, get in touch with that thing that happened to them, then they'd be cured. And like, like, there's value in that, but that's not our business. Our business is behavior change. And for, for a lot of you, it's, it's not necessary to relive it or even to understand it. Um, there's a, I think we'll get into this in a, little, in a little while as part of the checklist, but the goal is to allow the person to feel what they're feeling and act anyway. So like to take your chocolate, your, your shameful chocolate habit. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Howie. I appreciate yeah. bearing my soul and your, and your publicizing. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> Luckily, you have, you have uh, your, your fingers on the edit button. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm going to expect right. a whole conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so if you think about like a time when like, you, you know, like, all right, I'm going to eat the chocolate, even though I don't really want to, like part of my brain is like, this isn't good for me. And you're like, yeah, but I'm going to do it anyway. So if you pause at that moment and just tune in, you will notice things. You will notice that the chocolate is about to serve a function of state change or state maintenance, right? Like you, you're going to feel sad or maybe a little bit ashamed about something like, oh, you know what? I, even though I'm successful, I'm still kind of a fraud. Like, I, you know, I get that five, six times an hour <laughs> and, and I only self-deprecate one of those. So I'm like, you know, I'm at, I'm at a B minus for, for keeping that in. <laughs> right? And recognizing, as we said, like the chocolate serving a purpose of protecting me from a feeling. Right. So whether or not that feeling came from, you know, you were you were lost at the mall when you were seven, 
or you've had an, you know, an abusive childhood, or your, you know, a parent was neglectful and alcoholic, it doesn't really matter. What's, you know, like the doctor doesn't ask who shot the bullet, they just get the bullet out. Right. So what we want to say is like, okay, so there's a feeling. Can you let's 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 start doing tests and practices to more and more tolerate the feeling that arises that you solve with chocolate. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the extent like but understanding like when when somebody fails, it's because their neurology is overriding their intellect. And that's true for all of us. Right. You can't override a with your brain. You know, if someone came up behind you. That's that you can't override what with your brain? You can't override a stress response, a fight or flight response with with, with cognition. Okay. Right? If somebody when your office came up behind you right now and popped a water balloon or, a, you know, a balloon or made a loud noise with a paper bag, you would startle and jump. Yeah. Right. So understand that when when people are in the grip of a trauma that has been unresolved, their nervous system is going to override all of their strategic intentions. Right. And so just understanding that is the important thing so that we don't judge and despair and like, oh, why is this person doing it? Can't they see how they're killing themselves? Right. And the, and the doctor is coming in in the ultimate left brain state, you know, to use a phrase, uh, the ultimate cognitive state. They're they're all about um, what to do lists and numbers and right there. Uh, what do we call it? System system two, right? Uh, mm. Kahneman puts it, but the thinking brain. Uh, whereas a lot of people who come to us, and whether whether it's doctors or, or, or providers or or therapists or any any uh, kind of tradition uh, in healthcare is people are in a vulnerable state and they're thinking much more emotionally, right? Yep, that we are. You know, that's the we're we're dealing with gray with with uh, grayware. <laughs> right. It's not hardware, not software. It's humans. It's gray grayware. Yes. Right. It's limited. Okay. Okay. So do you feel we've got the part of the checklist before you start the conversation? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so then sort of the discussion, you know, Im immediately into, so tell me what you know about X or about this, con this condition is just sort of, you know, just give me a general, oh, I don't know anything. Or, you know, actually, I'm a, a triple PhD in psychoneuroimmunology. And, you know, if you talk down to me, I'm out of here and you'll never see me again. <laughs> All right. Right. Then the next thing I would want to know from them and, and it's important to ask this in a totally neutral way is what outcome they're looking for. What, what would you like to what would you like to accomplish? Because too often in the medical profession, we tell them what their what the outcome is that they want. Yep. And then we do motivational interviewing to get them to agree with it. Right, right, right. So the pur mm -hmm. purpose, in a sense, their 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 purpose in life or. Well, or, just regarding folks. this, like, what, what would you like, you know, you're here. What would you like to accomplish working with us? Yes. Right? And you'll hear different things and, and you'll and very often you'll hear unrealistic things. And mostly they're unrealistic in 
the direction of not bold enough, right? Because we know lifestyle medicine and they don't. And they've been told, well, diabetes, you can't cure diabetes. You can't reverse diabetes, you're just going to be medicated. They've heard that. And then someone right. said, hey, why don't you see Dr. D of um, PHOD? And all of a sudden, you know, well, okay, but I, you know, realistically, I'm not going to get rid of it. I can just, you know, I'm hoping to manage it, maybe get off of, um, you know, Bayeta and just, you know, I'll be taking small amounts of insulin and whatever. And, and you're like, okay, so I understand that this person has an unrealistically um, humble or, you know, t small view of what can, what they can accomplish. So, point to note because if that's what they if that's all they think they can do they're only going to be motivated to do that okay interesting right? so you don't try to argue them out of that at this point no you just um the, if you know depend depending like if it seems like they're pretty tentative about it well you know my doctor said that i was going to have this for life or basically i'm going to have high cholesterol and i'm gonna have to be on a statin and there's nothing i can do about it and, but they're, they, you know, if they say like their doctor said or they heard, like you can sort of check in, like how how much do they believe this, and how much are they just sort of parroting what they've heard, right? Is it their identity or not? So if it's not their identity, you can say you can say right now, and and, and I wouldn't, I would never argue, but I would say actually, I have a different sense of what we can do together, um, that might be even better than what you're suggesting. Would you like to hear it, or would you be interested in me sharing it? Uh, okay, I have a different, not better, uh, sense of what of what is possible. Yeah, what might be possible for you, and it might be even better than what you're thinking. Ah, uh, would you? Would you? So I'm. I'm. Whenever I offer advice, or Whenever I'm not in question mode, I'm always prefacing it with permission. Yes. Okay. That's that's another powerful thing. To never offer advice without asking permission to offer the advice. So what so what I want to do in that step is to get them to an outcome that is possible, that they believe is possible, and that they want. Yep. So I think they can get there. They think they can get there. And it's a good place to go. Okay. You've got them all lined, all the ducks lined up at that point. Mm -hmm. right? right. You know, because the more like if they if they realize, wow, I could get off my meds, I wouldn't have to have a CPAP for the rest of my life. Wow. Like, you know, would you would you climb Everest for 100 bucks? Probably not for a million, you know, well, let's let's let me start uh, practicing with supplemental oxygen. <laughs> Right. So the so the biggest the biggest thing they can go for and you're you know, again, you're you're a doctor. I'm just a health coach like you can wear a white coat and have a stethoscope as a prop, which means you are more credible than I am. So if you you have the power when you say, hey, I've you know, in my experience, I've worked with people who in worse conditions than you. And this is what they were able to accomplish. Would that interest you? Right. They now they might say yes, or they might say, yeah, but what's it going to cost me? Right. In their mind. Right. The, the pet, like, yeah. Right. The skepticism. Not just skepticism, but 
Um, like, I don't necessarily know if I want to pay that price. I want to be happy. I'd rather be happy and sick than, you know, live for a hundred years and, and be a monk, right? right. People, people have stories. Right. So you don't want to create a future that's, you know, that they are not willing to pay for behaviorally, experientially. Sure. Okay. So that's, so that's a bit of a dance. Like to get, you know, and the nice thing is if you're their physician or if they're in the, you can, it's iterative, right? Everything's iterative. So if you think all they want to do is lower their A1C to the point where they can get off this particular med that has nasty side effects for them, say, great, let's do that. Because the person who, is a, who makes lifestyle changes to lower their A1C is a different person than the person who's in front of you right now. It's like you climb one mountain and then you can see the next one, but you couldn't see it from the ground, from the valley. So we're never pushing. Right, never pushing. Right. So we're, we're offering opportunities that they're gonna want to surmount. Right. Because what happens, what, what happens when someone pushes us? <laughs> we resist, right? We push back. We do. All right. So the first, when you, you know, you're doing a bit of jujitsu there, they're like, wait, they're not telling me what to do. That's never happened before. They're not judging me. They're not telling me, they're not prescribing what I should do and making me feel bad for not having done it. Like, huh, like people get a little off balance there and they become very open to new ways of being. Uh, so the set, so after outcome, I would want to ask about um, what's happening now. So tell me about your, you know, the condition, let's say, you know, the, if it's diabetes, tell me what you're eating. Just give me a picture of the, of what's going on for you in your life as relates to this issue, as relates to like, what, you know, what are you eating now? What does that look like? What's your exercise like? Whatever, whatever information you'd want to gather, but not about chart information, but about human life information. The, the problem you have, what's the cost of it? Like, how, how is, why, is it, why is it a problem? Okay, my leg hurts. Um, okay, for some people, that's not a problem. For other people, they can't get down on the floor and play with their grandkids. They can't go dancing with their spouse. Right, so sort of understand the problem from their life perspective. Okay. Um, the third thing I want to know is what have they tried? Yes. Uh, for a bunch of reasons. Uh, one, you kind of want to get um, a sense of like, have they given up? Like, oh, I tried this. Like the way they tell you, I've tried everything, doc. Nothing's worked. Or, well, I did this diet. Oh, and then what happened? Well, I, you know, I went out on New Year's Eve and got drunk and had three cheesecakes. And then I figured, oh, what the hell? Right. So, so you're learning about how they self-sabotage. Right. They're telling you their formula for failing. Which is very helpful because when you reverse it, <laughs> And you point it out to them as a pattern. So, so it sounds like every time you have a slip up, you interpret that as you're done. You know, do you play? Do you play? Have you? Did you ever learn to play a musical instrument? Did you ever learn a sport? Did you ever learn to type? 
did you ever learn to, to walk, <laughs> right? So you can get them to see that that assumption is not universal. When I make a mistake, I have to quit. Right. So by asking what have they tried, you're getting their map of success and failure. And often they'll tell you something that worked. Said, yeah, for three years, I was plant-based, I was running, I was doing yoga, it was great. Oh, yeah, and then, and then they'll stop, they'll interrupt themselves and go, yeah, I just, I just gotta do that again. Mm -hmm. I gotta, I gotta, uh, I, you know, I stopped doing yoga when my DVD player broke. <laughs> I got like all, literally all I got to do is, um, you know, go to yoga with Adrian on YouTube and I'll be like, yeah, that's all I need. Thanks, Doc. See you next time. <laughs> right. So, so it can also be a very empowering question. Um, but once you've got those three things, you've got the, you know, the outcome they want, what's what's going on now and what have they tried in the past? You have a picture in your mind of what the gap is. Right? And now it's time to explore that with them. Right? So, and so what you're looking for is what's the opportunity in the problem? Right? So if your problem is you eat too much chocolate, we can try to solve it this way. We can say, okay, stop buying chocolate. Okay, where are you even getting the chocolate? Where is it in your house? What have you tried the fact, right? And so the answer is, all right, Dave, I want you to stop eating chocolate. Make a, make a decision, make a rule, no more chocolate. Now, if people in your family eat chocolate, then you got to get one of those kitchen safes where they can open it and you can't, mm -hmm. right? Or they have to agree to eat it in the garage, not in front of you. And that's, that's a way to solve your chocolate problem. But because we talked about earlier that your chocolate problem is actually an attempted solution for something else, we can try to solve a bigger problem that's actually going to enrich your life. It's, a, it's an opportunity for something better. Like, yeah, you know what? I have chocolate as a stimulant because I'm tired by four o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, so why are you tired? Well, I've been staying up till midnight because I'm stressed out. I keep checking, you know, news sites and blogs and the, the world is scaring me. Okay, so now we're dealing with like a deep anxiety that's led to a behavioral issue that makes you tired, which you're trying to solve with chocolate. So the opportunity to help you be, achieve calmness, peace and equanimity in a troubling world is a much higher order problem than stopping you from having chocolate. I love that. And, and that's similar to what you read about um, some of the management styles or such. And they talk about the five whys. And so you're supposed to keep asking the question, why? Well, why do you do this? Well, what, why is it that way? Well, why, why, why? Ultimately arriving at the, you know, sort of the hidden underlying cause of everything, right? Right, right. And so, yeah, just so just like in, in lifestyle medicine, we're looking for root causes. It's we're also looking for root causes of behavior. And it's inevitable that when we drop down a level. So just like if you're saying, well, diabetes is because you have too much blood sugar. So you're eating too many carbs. So cut back on the sweet potatoes and the corn and the carrots and, and the fruit. 
And right, so we're not addressing the root cause, but when you address the root cause of insulin resistance, you solve a whole bunch of other problems too. You improve cardiovascular health, you improve immune function, you improve the diversity of the microbiome, right? You improve brain health, right? So in the same way, when we find a root cause issue that their behavior is trying to solve, we improve their life in multiple ways. Let's say the issue is you have chocolate because your spouse loves chocolate and she, if you don't have it, she gets defensive and says, oh, come on, don't be a wuss, have a piece of chocolate. And so the issue then is standing up for yourself, right? If you're the sort of person who has trouble advocating for your needs and you're trying to please other people, which is very common when we talk about you know, people with, with eating issues. Like, well, I went out to eat. I didn't want to trouble the server. All my friends had it. And like, I just, you know, we go out to friends' house and I just don't want to make any trouble. And I don't, you know, ever like taking care of everyone but themselves. So instead of just addressing the behavior itself, we begin to look at what would it be like to like what's an experiment you could do to challenge the assumption that if I advocate for myself, no one will like me. If I advocate for myself, my wife is going to reject me. If I advocate for myself, it's going to be really awkward and I'm going to feel bad. Right? Because as long as that's driving behavior, they're never going to try to change. So what you want to do is, is, is surface that assumption and then give them ways to test it. Like your assumption, if I don't have chocolate, I can't, I, won't, I can't handle not having chocolate right now, right? And that's not you, but that's a lot of people when they're tempted in such a way, like there was no way I wasn't going to have the pizza. Uh -huh. I know I shouldn't, but there's no, like, so the assumption embedded in that is I can't handle saying no to the pizza. So then we say, well, let's try an experiment. Can you try saying no to the pizza for two minutes? <laughs> yeah, okay. You can have it after two minutes, but just see what happens when you say no to it. So here we are, Howie, a couple months later, uh, we had to break this interview up into a couple pieces. I will, if, if it's okay with you, I'm going to read you what, where we are now so we can finish up the checklist. Is that cool? Yes, it is. All right. So I have a title of How to Coach Effectively. I don't know what you think about that title. Um, I'd say how, 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 to, how to guide, how to effectively guide people to positive health changes. Right, how to effectively. Or to posit, positive changes. Positive changes. Okay. Or to make positive changes. I don't know. All right. Run, run it by your marketing department. <laughs> All right. And uh, then we have... Um, a little blurb at the beginning talking about how effective coaching does not come naturally to any of us uh, and clinicians are no exception. If behavior change were as simple as deciding what to do is best, there might be no such thing as obesity or heart disease. Most people who need coaching have already tried the easy solutions. They have already failed in any way they can imagine. They think of themselves as damaged and unworthy. They are primed for the next failure, wanting to kick themselves one more time and say, I told you so. What they don't need typically is to be 
I, what I put here is mansplained or woman-splained, or basically explained what to do. What they need is an empathetic health coach who can help them believe in themselves, execute on a credible solution and achieve long-term results. This checklist should be followed by anyone, anyone who wants to effectively coach uh, client, clients, friends, loved ones, or anyone else. Is that a, a decent preamble to Sounds the checklist? Sounds great, sure. So here's our checklist. Uh, before meeting, get present, deep breath, right. feel your feet, close your loops and, and get present. It's not about you. I said get present twice. Close your, close your loops, it's not about you. Next item, lead with empathy. Pause and tune in to feelings behind behaviors. You can't override a stress response with cognition. Nervous system, one's nervous system is, can be overriding strategy. Let's say that. So I would say the nervous system can override um, sort of conscious intentions. Have total respect for their autonomy. I don't judge. Never argue. Assume positive intent about all their behaviors. Trauma underlies so much of human experiences. Maybe the trauma bit doesn't belong on this checklist item. Right, it's probably going too deep. Okay, I'll take that out. Next item, approve with curious, uh, sorry, approach with curiosity. Where are they now? How did they get here? What are the, ba the barriers to achieving their goal? What skills, uh, uh, what skills do they have? Some people just need information. So the bit about just needing information, uh, I don't know if that belongs in this one either. I'm gonna take that out. But what, so we'll finish with what skills do they have? So this is where we're starting to dig deeper, um, question them. Next is explore deeply. I would, I would say what skills do they have comes before what are the barriers to achieving their goals? Okay, yes. Excellent. Uh, next one is explore deeply. What outcome are they looking for? You will hear unrealistic things. Usually they're not being bold enough. Here is where you may invite them to solve an even bigger problem. Understand the problem from their perspective. What is, the, what is their understanding of the problem? Use the five whys to get at the root causes. Learn how they self-sabotage. Next item, explore solutions. Be slow to give advice. But when you do, you might say something like, I have a different sense of what might be possible and it may be even better than you are thinking. Never offer advice without asking permission first and never push. And the final item that I've captured so far is try a simple short-term experiment to overcome their resistance. Make bigger behavior change, but for a shorter period of time. Yeah, I think let's hold off on that one. Yeah. That feels like it's gonna be embedded into what we talked about today. Okay, let's talk. Okay. So sort of ex exploring solutions. I say, can we solve a bigger problem? The other thing I would look for is, is there an opportunity embedded in the problem? 
So for example, someone wants to lose 20 pounds and the opportunity might be, I actually want to kind of become an athlete and losing 20 pounds will help me do that. So it's a much, it's a much more aspirational goal. Right. Or someone's addicted to sugar. And we can explore like why, you know, what's good about the sugar? Well, it helps me with my energy. Um, or, you know, or it helps me. Uh, let's let's say I eat it when I'm sad. Right. So then we can say, well, do you want to start exploring other ways to be happy? other other sources of dopamine. And so maybe the sugar is a symptom of, you know, a bad relationship or an unsatisfactory career uh, or, you know, whatever. Uh, so can we, if we can make it about the big thing that they want, it's much easier to get them excited and it's much easier to move towards something than away from something. So try to connect their their big underlying goal uh, with with their small. Yeah. I'd say try try to identify an opportunity that the problem points to. Okay. Got it. Okay, try to identify an opportunity that the problem points to. Or, or kind of highlights or is a symptom of. Look for more aspirational goals. Does that belong here? Uh, so could, could the problem be a symptom of something else, right? Right. And we, we kind of captured that earlier when we talked about um, solving an even bigger problem, explore deeply what outcome are they looking for? You will hear unrealistic things. Yeah, there's a difference between, so the, yeah, the outcome they're looking for is about how do I solve this problem? Yes. So essentially that think of that as like getting them back to zero. They're in a deficit and they want to get to zero. I want to solve the problem. But in almost every problem, especially ones that they haven't been able to solve, there is an opportunity embedded in it to be even better because of the problem, to uh, use the problem like a slingshot. Gotcha. So I'll give you an example. I made a YouTube video about this yesterday. I was finishing my run and at the top of the hill, walking away from me was this woman, she lit up a cigarette. So now I've got, to, as I jog, I have to smell her cigarette smoke all the way home. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I don't want to do that. Um, so I'm going to try to run up the hill ahead of her. I'm going to try to beat her up the hill. And it was awesome. It was like my first race in a year. And I'm like, can I, can I get to the top of the hill? And I felt great afterwards. Like, and I never would have done that. Okay. So yeah, like going for the extra wins, right? Like every, everything's got to be a win-win and, and how about pick up another win, right? Um, yeah, but it's usually like there's a win, there's an elegant way to find something even better than what you thought you wanted. Okay. Uh, 
right? Like in some of the work you and I have been doing around your business, the problem can lead to, okay, so what I need is, is real clarity about my mission, right? That yeah. like, that's a much bigger thing, but like to get clarity around your mission is huge. It's a big win. And it, you, we found it by pulling on the problem of, I'm not sure who to talk to next, for example. Okay. Right. If I just told you, okay, here's who you should talk to next, you would have missed, if you just solved your problem, you would have missed out on an even bigger solution. All right. So keeping that wide, yeah. wide angle perspective, uh, yeah. other, other opportunities. Yeah. Okay. Or even you can ask the question, ask it to yourself, what's good about this? Right. Do you know um, the book, The Obstacle is the Way? No. Uh, it's a good book. It's uh, by uh, Ryan Holiday. It's, it's, it's uh, his, his modern day thing of um, stoic philosophy. So, to, you know, turning trials into triumph. It's just, you know, like, think of it like weightlifting. Like, I got a big fucking weight on the ground, and it's, and it's hard to lift. And I wish it wasn't there. But actually lifting it is the way I get stronger. Okay, of course. So I would switch this one with explore solutions. I would put this before it. Got it. Because we want to explore the solutions of the new problem. Ah, yes. So identify what is the, the, the fundamental problem you're going after. Um, right. Not necessarily going after the thing they ask you to go after. Like, right. Because they're not excited to go after it and they, they feel bad about it. And it's just like, oh, I wish this would go away. So I was coaching somebody yesterday who's like, her weight is out of control and she's tired of her own cooking. She's, and she thinks, like, okay, what I've got to do is stop eating cookies and croissants and fun stuff. And like, I want you to help me be more miserable, be, be miserable more effectively. <laughs> and so I was asking her, like, what, um, what have you tried stuff in the past? What's worked? She says, yes, well, I went vegan overnight. And, and I was so excited, like all the new things I could do and all the, the new options and foods I had never heard of. I'm like, well, why don't we try to get excited about replacing your junk food? Like, you know, how can we gamify it? How can we look for new vegetables and new ways of, you know, using date paste or whatever? How can we turn this into something, a fun and exciting challenge, as opposed to, right, you know, help, help, help me be more miserable so I can be, live longer. I like that, that, that when each person comes to you, that what they're going to tell you is the problem isn't necessarily the problem that you really want to solve for them. So find the real problem. Uh, identify those uh, extra opportunities, um, find the, the problem that's going to get them more wins, perhaps. Right. Uh, okay. And, th and then yeah. we get to explore solutions, be slow to give advice. But when you do, I have a different sense of what might be possible. Um, never offer advice without asking permission first, never push. Right. So I'd say like what, you know, I would, I, I would begin with so instead, you know, be slow to give advice. What do I want to do instead? I want to say, so what are some things you might try? Yep. Um, 
I like to go for a multiplicity of options rather than just have them choose the first thing they think of. Because the yep. first thing they think of, they usually thought of already. <laughs> right? It's like all that, you know, creativity work. Right? Like only only when the group has done brainstorming the obvious 20 things does someone come up with uh, the 21st. <laughs> okay. And so, you know, that's great. What you know, what else can you and don't evaluate their options. You know, you're saying that's great to the fact that they came up with an option. You're not saying, well, that won't work or how well with it. Right. You just great. What else might you try? What else? What else? Do you, what else comes up here? Okay. Uh, you know, you can bring them back. So you mentioned, you know, now you're talking about cleaning out your fridge. You mentioned about being an athlete. Uh, what are some what are some things you could do to start living, you know, moving towards that identity? So you can instead of you're not suggesting things, but you're suggesting domains that they could, you know, aspects of the situation and say, well, what could you do about this? So you can kind of direct. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. So we're exploring uh, solutions. I like that approach of uh, what are some things you might try. Um, you're going to get a list of things. You, you think again about the problem from other perspectives. Well, you mentioned you what you like to be an athlete. What are some things you might try to move in that direction? Um, so getting them to start talking about different uh, this menu of changes that they're they're potentially going to make, right? Right, right. Okay, and then so that's sort of identify options. You can get a bunch of options on the table, and then so the next step is to have them choose an option or a combination. Got it. So having laid out this menu, you you ask them to to pick one, two, or three things. Right. What what would and, and uh, I like to I like to do it is what what's something you'd like to start with, as opposed to like because that that tells them they don't have to do it all at once. Okay. Right. So that's that idea of the, the last paragraph about you know trying trying something small. So then there's there's two things I, I like to do in, in this stage. So with that question of what's you know, how what would so choose something? What 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 makes sense? What do you want to try? And I, I want to frame it in terms of try because we want to make this an experimental process where there's no such thing as failure, there's just more information. Yes. You know, there's this whole thing in personal development, like, you know, there is don't, there is no try. There is just do or not do. <laughs> like, what a what a terrible bar to raise for people who've never succeeded at anything and are terrified of trying anything. Yeah, that's true. There's so there is so fucking try. Yes, there is try, Yoda. So then what I what I like to do is um stress test it right what what could get in your way okay so i'm 
instead of eating a bowl of Ben and Jerry's in the evening, if I get hungry, I'm going to have carrots, cauliflower with hummus. Great, we got a we got a plan. Um, what what you know, let's let's take when's the next time you're going to face that situation? Take me there. What could go wrong? What might happen? What are some ways that you can imagine self-sabotaging? So you're not just sending them out into the world saying, great, you've you know, you've made this decision. Right. Right. Where you're saying, look, you know, this is let's let's plan for it. And like contingency planning. Like what yep. do you like any business? Right. I'm sure I'm sure you like medicine was largely about learning contingency plans. Like you're doing this and this happens. Sure. Then now what? So so apply. So instead of becoming all of a sudden Pollyanna-ish, because right now, like they, oh, they have a solution. They've it's so clear. You don't want to leave them there because they're going to walk out of your office, get smacked in the face, and be right. worse off than before. So brain, you know, brainstorm. And there's a there's a technique called a pre-mortem, which is you can imagine it goes perfectly, Dave. Imagine you want the ice cream and you have the thought and you immediately get up and you pull some cauliflower and broccoli florets from the fridge and you have some of that and your craving goes away and you feel great. Okay. Now imagine total failure. Right. Imagine that you go for the benefit. And then we want to pinpoint the moment of power. Like when, when in that, in those two scenarios, do you ever see the movie sliding doors? No. Uh, it's a good movie. It's about basically the plot is the main character, Gwyneth Paltrow, before Goop, um, is trying to catch a subway train. And in one version of the story, she just makes it onto the train. In another version, someone climbing down up the stairs gets in her way and she gets there just as the doors slide shut. And then it goes back and forth, showing the, the difference in her life based on that moment. So I like to ask, what is the sliding doors moment? What is the, where is the moment where you could have, you had the most power to influence the outcome? Was it when you sat down or, you know, and decided, or you got up and went to the fridge instead of the freezer? Like, okay, I'm in front of this box. The freezer's up here. The fridge is down here. Now that's the moment where I need willpower. Or is it while you're sitting on the couch having the thought, and by the time you walk to the fridge, the decision's already been made for you and you have no power, right? It, or is it that you didn't go to the store to buy the broccoli and cauliflower? Or is it that it's in, in big heads and you haven't cut it up and put it in a little Tupperware container so it's convenient? Like where, help them figure out, like, where's the moment where I have to apply force, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? It's like the elephant in the high heel. Yeah, this is good. This is good. I, I really like stress tests uh, and, and deconstruct. You don't say, okay, go do it. You say, all right, well, what's going to, what's going to interrupt your success? What's going to be a, a failure and taking it to an extreme, you say, okay, let, let's imagine you are a complete failure. Explain how that could have happened. And that's essentially a pre-mortem, right? Right, right. And just... Um... Linguistically, I would never say, imagine you are a complete failure. Say, <laughs> say let's, let's imagine that this. you don't, you don't do what you said you were going to do. Imagine, right. imagine the worst can, that, that could happen. 
Right, right, right. Okay. All right. So then the next step, after we go through that, the next step is you ask them, okay, so remind me what you're going to do. And they're going to yeah. say, they're going to repeat it to you. And you say, so how confident are you on a scale of one to 10 that you're going to succeed? Yep. And if they're honest, they often say eh, six or seven, and they'll think that's good enough. All right. Another question I'd like to ask is, would you bet on yourself? You know, would you bet a painful amount of money that you're going to succeed? Yep. And if not, they say, well, you know what? I, I, so I believe that achieving your, your, your goal a hundred percent is really important. I don't believe in progress, not perfection. I believe in perfection. But the question is, what's the denominator? So I would rather you say, okay, once a week, I'm going to have crudite instead of Ben and Jerry's, and I can do that. Like, I would rather have 100% compliance with a much weaker plan. Because if it's 100%, you can build on that. If it's 90%, then they're still practicing, oh, the, these, these standards don't matter to me. So if they say, I'm 70% sure that I will have the um, crudite instead of Ben and Jerry's, say, great. So what, how can we tweak this so that you're uh, at least 95% confident? Okay, that's interesting. In our lifestyle medicine training for board certification, uh, they, they recommend we go for about 7 out of 10 confidence level. Um, but you're you're you find that going to 9.5 out of 10 confidence level is preferable especially at the beginning at the beginning i want people to experience success and i also want them to know that they don't have to that people think in very black and white terms i'm either bad or i'm good right and so the the minute they're bad they're no longer good, and oh, what the hell, I'll just have the whole sleeve of Oreos. Right? As opposed to who owns this, right? Like if, if I'm trying to please Dr. Dave, then ultimately um, I'm being compliant to someone else's wishes. And I either want to impress you, or I'm scared of you, or I want your approval, and eventually that's going to fall apart. So we don't want we don't want them to be introjecting our standards. We want them to create their own standards. So the same way you wouldn't say, I promise, you know, I, I promise to be 70% faithful to my spouse, you know, unless somebody hotter comes along. <laughs> right? We say, like, this is my plan, and I'm I can make it whatever I want. I can make it, as long as I'm moving in the right direction, I don't have to go for 100%. I don't have to try to win the Olympics. I can take a walk around the block. So we're asking, what, what are you willing to commit to that's going to move you in the right direction that you would bet on? Okay. All right. And is, is, that, is that the conclusion? Have we, have we reached the grand? Um, at, that, at, at that point, when we get to sort of 9 or 10, 9, 9 5, we say, great. So... Um, I like them to write it down. So there's no, you know, there's a paper trail. There's no unclarity. Here's what I'm planning to do. 
And then depending on the relationship, you might say, okay, well, we're going to check in, right? So you're going to, how, you know, are, how are you going to keep track of this? How are you going to let me know? Or how are you going to keep track for yourself? Or, right? So we're asking them to be self-accountable rather than accountable to us. But that might include keeping us in the loop. One of the ways I'm going to be self-accountable is I'm going to send you an email next week, Dr. Dave, and tell you how I did. Great. When, by when will I receive it? And, you know, and specificity is our friend. Right. So right. the smart goals, right? Uh, measurable, time delimited. Yep. Very specific. Right. right. Like you ever wait for an airplane to take off and you're in the, you know, you're in, in the terminal and like the time comes and goes when you should have boarded and they don't say anything. And you get really agitated versus they say, okay, there's been a 20 minute delay. We apologize. Um, you know, we need to fix the jetway. We'll, we'll board you in 20 minutes. They can keep doing that for hours. As long as they keep you in the loop, you'll be much less agitated. I'm, I'm really sorry, folks. We can't find the part. Um, we're going to have to, like, as long as they keep telling you, we're cool. So the specificity is really, really important so that people feel it's, it's a very calming thing to feel like, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to do and exactly how I'm going to keep yep. track of it. And that way, you know where you are. And you know, because you've stated it, you've deconstructed it, you've stress tested it, you've written it down, and you've made a plan for when to check back. Right. All right. And, and then you right. just iterate on yep. some of the and, and I would leave them with, look, we've we've this is a we've created a hypothesis and we've made it as as good as we can make it but now you're going to do the test you're going to perform the experiment and the and the goal of that experiment is data so if it turns out that what we've to come up with doesn't work that's fine because we're just going to keep repeating the process until we until it does work because right? Right. I, I want them to have a growth mindset about this whole thing. Got it. I love it. Look at us, 29 minutes and 32 seconds. Howie, you, you amaze me, uh, as always. Um, I greatly appreciate this. This is a, I think this is a really powerful checklist. I can imagine how, how you know, a, a little bit of training for clinicians like myself on, on this with some practicing and, and just sort of running through it, a just a mm -hmm. few hours of that. And, and most clinicians, doctors, other providers would be much um, better versed to well, deliver this kind of experience. Well, I would love to teach this. So if you have ways of, uh, or ideas about how I can I don't know, create a, you know, six CME credit course and a few hours and practice and feedback. I would love to do that. Yeah, we, I think we, the world needs this. So um, let's can, can see, let's make that a yes and figure out how and when it happens. But um, for now, I'm going to take this mm -hmm. uh, wordsmith it a little bit and uh, run it by you. Um, I'm going to look for some scientific evidence behind this. I know that there's some, some quote unquote hard science behind a number of the things that, that we've discussed. I know a lot of this is, is your own art, right? 
Right, but it's it's science based. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely. Yeah. I very... mean, it's it's social science, which mm -hmm. means somebody got a bunch of undergrads to do something a few times. <laughs> you can right. find papers. You, you can fill up yeah. a list of references. So as long as it's like you know, if you if your if your target market is is white Western upper middle class English speakers, in the in the eighteen to twenty five age range. I think we can assume that we can just <laughs> right. generalize that to every human on earth. Those same, uh, that same group who gets studied in almost every, every study out there. Um, and, and then the, the other thing is visuals. And so I do like to try to put visuals together uh, for mm. this and even, even put it together into a printable checklist or even a, a poster, which is something we do on this, on our website, health, healthrules.org. Um, so I don't know if, if, any any ideas come come to you regarding that? Uh, I'm certainly welcome to it, Howie. Um, but I'll get back to you with what I've produced, and I, the plan is to put this up on the website and to publish our interview here um, to document how we created it. And um, and so, on behalf of the rest of the world, um, I want to thank you, Howie, for helping helping uh, divulge all your secrets in this mar uh, marvelous checklist. Well, thank you, Dr. Dave. It's my pleasure. And thank you for uh, so skillfully drawing it out of me. You are a, uh, a checklist master, because for me, it's like a tornado. <laughs> and you, uh, you, can, you help me see it in a very linear fashion, which makes it much more teachable. So this is coming from you, my mentor, um, one of the most gifted interviewers out there. I can attest uh, through the Plant Yourself podcast and hundreds of hours that you've given the world so thank you, that, that means a lot. And uh, so well, we'll let you get back to your life, Howie. And so until the next time I have the great fortune of chatting with you, I will bid you peace. Peace, Dave, be well. Be well. <laughs>